Welcome to the Previously Learnt Podcast with myself, James Shaw, and good mate, Michael McLaughlin. I lost my parents fairly recently, and Mike likewise has lost his dad. This loss of my parents got me thinking a lot about life lessons that I can pass on to my children. Now, given that my kids certainly don't listen to me, I wanted to get some life lessons from the people that have been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. If you like Previously Learnt, please let one other person know. If you don't like it, then please let me know. It'd be brilliant if you could like, comment, subscribe. It really does help Mike and I improve the podcast. On this episode of Previously Learnt, I was joined by Julian Burton, OAM. In 2002, whilst on an end-of-season Australian Rules football tour in Bali, Julian suffered life-threatening third-degree burns when Bali bombings terrorist attacked. Following his treatment and long recovery, Julian was inspired to give back and founded the Julian Burton Burns Trust and raised over 20 million Aussie dollars. This chat is full of life lessons, including life is full of choices and consequences, and that your choice is your biggest asset. It's not just words, but actions for people. So have a look behind the words and have a look at the actions people actually take and the way they behave. And never be afraid to be vulnerable. This was a really inspiring chat, and I hope you enjoy. So, Julian, welcome to the Previous Learn Podcast. Awesome to have you on. How are you? Thanks, Shane. I'm very good and uh, very honoured and humbled to be asked by you to be on your podcast. So thank you very much for having me. No, absolutely. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So I'll give a, a brief bio to the listeners about, about you. So you're an ex-Aussie Rules footballer. Um, and you're right in the heart of the, the Bali terrorist attack in 2002, the bombing, uh, where tragically over 200 people lost their life and you yourself had some life-changing um, injuries. You are also the founder of the Julian Burton Burns Trust, where you raised over $20 million over a 15-year period. And you are now a founder of a biotech company. But before we touch on those, hmm. I just ask, when you were growing up, yes. do you remember any life lessons and advice you were giving yourself? I'd, I'd say I came from humble beginnings, Jones. I came from a small country town. I grew up on a farm with a, my mother and dad and a brother and sister. My sister was a year older and my brother was six years younger. Um, so it was a small town called Cow, C-O-W-E-L-L, in, you know, um, in country South Australia, in Australia. And, you know, I came from humble beginnings where my parents, you know, um, struggled financially. Um, they struggled, you know, with their, you know, they had their ups and downs, their marriage and, and whatever. But, you know, I, but I, I, I feel very honoured and um, privileged that I had some great, I, I had two wonderful parents who, no matter how tough their battles were, they always found the time to stop and talk about their battles with us kids. So we knew, as we were old, we knew there were some challenges, but, you know, just advice around never forget where you come from and who got you there. Um, always be grateful for what you have in life. You know, I never went without food. I never went without clothes. Um, but it wasn't really, I was never the, it was never the worst and it was never the best, but we never went without, if you know what I mean. But it, re- it wasn't really what my mum and dad said. It was more about the way that they behaved, their role modeling. But they always found time for other people. Do you know what I mean? They always worked hard. Do you know, they always treated people with respect. Do you know what I mean? And so, therefore, it wasn't their words that really resonated with me. It was what I grew up with and what I saw them do, which which I probably, when I was younger, I probably didn't really understand it. Yeah. You know, I just thought they were just bloody nagging me. Yeah. But as, he, as I got older, I realized that, you know, words were one thing, but the real power was the way that I just observed their behaviour. And I think as I got older, I really appreciated it. And that really has stuck with me as a, you know, even now at 50 years old. No, great. I mean, I, I must admit, it's exactly that, isn't it? It's doing, doing your actions rather than leading by example as well, I think is very important. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the, that's the other thing, you know, like, you know, for me, it's, you know, you look at some of the role models that I thought were role models to me as a young lad or a young man. And they used to say the words and but their behaviour and their actions were completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably something that I've really taken on as a as a young man or even now as a father or 
as a you know, as a husband or as a friend is, you know, I think sometimes in that old saying, words are cheap. You know what I mean? And we can talk a big game and we can say the right thing. And but it really, you know, how do you, you know, and I think it really comes down to watching people's behaviour and how they treat people, and and necessarily not in the good times. Mm-hmm. I actually really, I think you learn, you know, a lot about people in the challenging times. Yeah, and I think when your character's tested, you know, and that's when you can see, you know, how you know people truly are, you know. Yeah. No, I fully agree. That's one thing I say to, especially my son. My daughter's a little bit too young to try and take the yeah. advice on, but it's doing the thing, the right thing when no one's looking as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's a, and that's a discipline. You know what I mean? That's a, and it's hard to do that. You know what I mean? Because, and yeah, and listen, yeah, you know, we're all, you know, when we're all young and you know, we just we all, I think we all, yeah, you know, we all think we're okay. You know, but yeah, you know, we're really we're just learning. You know, we're just, you know, we're feeling our way and, you know, we, some people do it with a lot of bravado and whatever, which I probably did a bit when I was a kid and a lot of people do it, you know, maybe a little bit of silence and a little bit of, you know, you know, in a different way. So I think we're all on this, we're trying to learn our way through life. Yeah. And constantly trying to learn as well. Yeah. It's still now. Totally agree. So, so we touched on uh, the stuff earlier. You're an ex, was your all footballer. What, any life lessons you learned from that? From professional sports, sport? Well, I know. Well, I learned a lot, really. You know, a lot of the life lessons that I learned really came from my parents, as I said. But I think when I played, you know, I wasn't at the top level, but I played in a semi professional level, you know, um, you know, 20 years ago. So, you know, it was still a, a decent level to play. But I think I, think I just learned again. Um, you know, when you're a part of a team and you've got a common goal and you're trying to, you know, everyone's going to play a role. And I think you really, as much as you like to, you know, be good yourself, I think sometimes you have to swallow your ego a bit and you've got to play your role for team success. And I think, you know, when you're 19, 20, that's hard to kind of get your head around that because you hear about that, but you probably don't have the maturity to understand that. But I think that's what team sport, if you want to be successful, team make you conform. You know, you're either a part of it or you're not. Yeah. I think if you're not, you're left out. And and sometimes, you know, when I was younger, I did get left out. Not because, you know, I didn't conform, but I was, you know, I probably wasn't good enough. But then I realized that, well, how, if I want to be a part of that team, I've got to work harder. Or I've got to, I wasn't the most talented Australian rules footballer, but what I did always, I think I did have, even as a young kid, I had a work ethic. And I had a desire and a, and a passion to keep to improve and to learn, mm-hmm. whether that was physically or mentally or emotionally, which still stills me today. So, you know, that was I had to really work hard to get to where I wanted to go, and then I had to work hard to stay there. And I reckon that was one of the lessons that I learned when I was younger that I wasn't the most talented, but I realised the value of hard work and sacrifice and discipline. And forming to a team and playing my role, and all that, then team success came along, and then some individual accolades which you don't play for, but they come along. Mm-hmm. But you just I think the smart people realise that you know you only get the individual because you're a part of a team. Yeah, I think as soon as you go away from that, you then find yourself out in the alley pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. So you know there's a lot of lessons, but. You know, to me, again, it was just, and that really held me instead for, for the rest of my life because, you know, I look at, you know, family, we're a team. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know you're a team in sport, you're a team in friendships, so you're a team in business. So I felt that that really football gave me a real, reinforced again a lot of my messages that my parents taught me as a kid, but I suppose because I was a bit older, I started learning about, started to form maybe my own values and morals what I stand for as a human being. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, on the football field, I still think, you know, some people might disagree to this, but, you know, I, I was still a kind person. I was, I was competitive, but I, I still believed in love and care and kindness that if someone did something well or they beat you at a ball that you should have got, yeah. I used to think, no, I'm too good. Well done. Yeah. Some coaches would kind of rip into me about that, but... I just kind of thought that that was, but maybe that's my nature as well, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, but I think there are a lot of things I learned. 
Oh, good stuff. I, it just reminded me of something when I was first started playing rugby. I used to apologise to the person I tackled as I heard them. Yeah. My my coach, he ripped into me. He's like, "Look, you've got to stop saying sorry." Like, oh, I'm, 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 you know, James, I've got, got a son who's 15, second one. I've got five children, and he's he's a taller lad, you know, um, and he loves his Aussie rules. And yeah, you know, he's not bad. He's not the best. He's not the worst, but he's a bit above average. But he's a bit clumsy. Mm-hmm. You know, when he plays, and every time he falls over and lands on someone, the ball's right there, <laughs> and he's sitting there with his hand, his hand out, picking the young lad up, yeah. and. Uh, but I look at that, and as much as sometimes I, you know, I laugh at it, I maybe get a little bit frustrated at it because I say go for the ball. I still think that's his natural personality. Yeah. And if Sully turns out to be as a young man, yeah, when there is a car accident or someone needs help, and he's and he stops what he's doing to help someone else, yeah, I think that value and those choices will keep him in better stead mm-hmm. than getting a football. Yeah, and that's what I focus on. You know, it's, you know, just being a good person, being a kind, caring person, just like you were, Archie. Hopefully, myself. I think the world needs those. Yeah, no, no, I agree, and you know, especially in the current climate as well. Right? Oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, you're talking of work. It's uh, if you're right talking about it. So yeah, uh, in 2002, you were caught right in the heart of the the Bali terrorist attack. Uh, actually, in one of the bars that was blown up, and so yeah. over two hundred people died. You yourself had some life-changing injuries. Are you right to talk about that? Is yeah, that- yeah, yeah. Well, I always, you know, well, I haven't talked about it for a long time, James. So, um, yeah, well, um, well, I'll give you a bit of background about the night, and I, and I, I, I do talk with in regards. It's been you know twenty odd years now, but yeah, two hundred and two people died, including eight out in Australia. So. You know, you, first thing when I when I do think about it or talk about it, I have a lot of gratitude that I'm here, that I'm able to talk about it. And when I do share it, you know, I do share it with a lot of respect of the families that, you know, lost a you know a mother, a daughter, a son, a father. You know, so but I, I was on an end of season footy trip. I was 29, and we went to the Sari Club as you said, we're at the bar, um, which was the major bar that the explosion happened. We went over there, we arrived on the morning, that morning on the 12th of October, and we said we drove past the Starry Club and our little bus as we got off the airport, so that's where we'll go. So we got there early on the night, and there were 20 of us, and we we decided to get there at 7 p.m. on the night. And the whole idea was to get there early and basically outline our rules of behaviour. Yeah, and... And I'm when I say rules of behaviour in a foreign country, you know, I was one of the senior, you know, there was about five older blokes, you know, but we're all in our twenties. Mm-hmm. And we just said, listen, we're in a foreign country, if something goes wrong or someone, you know, it was like the old football rules, you know, what was what would we do, you know, how would we act as a team? And one was that we respect people where we are. If one of us was um, got a little bit carried away, you know, there was an expectation that one of our friends would pull, pull, pull you aside and have a word that you calm down or respect what you're doing or maybe go home. Mm-hmm. No, um, you know, we went and gave, I don't know, two unwheel, put in 20 rupiah each and gave the security guards that night 400 rupiah. Mm-hmm. They, if something did happen with us, you know, Please look after us and and whatever. So we 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 set our rules down. Now, unbeknown to us, did we know in four hours' time that a major terrorist attack would happen? But anyway, so yeah, you know, so off we went. We you know, and and then we all behaved. In, well, I think you know very maturely. I think you know, but we were young. We're on the dance floor talking to you know other locals and people there there and and you know and then at quarter past there was a, a explosion. And I remember being in the bar. Um, it was my turn. We're on the dance floor. I turned around to get a couple of drinks. Um, it was my turn to shout. My brother was there, and you know we're all very close. Mm-hmm. And you know the first explosion went off, which was across the road in Paddy's. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, that sounded like a uh, a car backfiring, yeah, but yeah, suicide bomber." And and then five seconds later, it just went woof. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, and I and all I remember, I don't know whether it was five seconds. I tell, I don't really know, five, ten, fifteen, five minutes. I don't really know. I came to my senses and my intuition. I remember, forget it, even to this day. I just knew we bombed. Something. It was an explosion. It was a bomb, and I just. And when I came to my senses, I quickly realised that I was I was trapped under because the Zari Club has was like a straw wooden ceiling, mm-hmm. and it was all pylons made out of wood. So everything was on fire. Uh, you know, I couldn't move. I was trapped like pylons, but I knew I had to, you know. And then I, you know, I naturally I started to panic. And then I kind of um, found my way to get out. And then, you know, I came across a couple of people that, you know, I grabbed at a lady's leg, you know, and I asked her to follow me because I could hear her screaming, you know. Yeah, I kept on going. And then I kind of got to a stage where I could stand up which I was very fortunate to be able to do that because even moving, it wasn't easy. Somehow I was able to free myself a bit and, you know, and I remember standing up and looking around and, you know, know, sadly I just, you know, there was was a lot of lives that I lost and I just knew that there was no one around me running past me. And I remember when my brother, I spoke to my brother and luckily he survived, like he was helping people climb walls and get out and whatever. And for me, you know, so I don't know, that's where I don't know whether I was out for five minutes or, you know, I just don't know. But I, you know, and then, I don't know, James, I just kind of, it was touch and go and I, I could feel myself burning and I just thought, oh, I've got to get out of here. And, and I saw a, a light, like, it looked like a camera or something and, and I thought it was outside and I thought, well, and I just... You know, I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just go that way because it was it was matter. It was pretty close. Then, I'd, yeah, I was, you know, I was I was burning. I suppose that's I don't know whether I sustained my burns then or when I was unconscious. Um, but I I ran through what I had to run through. Um, I was lucky there was no wall on the other side. You know, I just I just got out, and you know, it was a, it was just a choice I made that. You know, it took me outside, and when I got outside, it was, you know, it was pandemonium, and I got outside, and then, you know, I looked around, and I could remember people pointing at me when I got out. I could feel my face, and I was a bit burned, and I could look at my hands, and I burned, but I didn't know I had all my, my body and all that on my back, and my bum was 30-degree burns, mm. and if I was on my nerves and shit. I didn't know at that stage they had 30-degree burns. So, you know, James, it was just one of those things that, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm a father of five kids. I'm married. And, you know, I'm, you know, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm very extremely grateful. And it comes back to my parents, you know, I just saying that be grateful for what you got and whatever. And don't get me, don't get me wrong. It was a traumatic experience. It wasn't easy. But I always kind of found a way, whether it was in a hospital bed or, uh, you know, a, um, whether it was rehabilitation from my burns or whatever it came, I just always kind of thought that there's a lot of other people and a lot of other families that never got the opportunity to do that recovery or that rehabilitation or whatever. And that was always my little... I never talked about it much. You know, and a lot of people just said to me, oh, you know, you're inspirational, what you've done. And, you, you know, and I, I, never saw, I never saw it inspirational do you know what I mean I never saw it like that I just saw it as you know I was fucking lucky do you know I was just really right place at the wrong time if it's that stay that well I don't know I think I think you are inspirational to be honest it's to do that and still be able to talk about it and you seem not bitter about it you're still incredibly positive oh Oh, yeah well, I could change it. I'll put it this way, James. I'll be really honest, and I've always said this, and I've always thought it. If my face was really badly burnt, or I lost, if, or if my brother died, mm. or I lost an arm or a leg, yeah, you know, maybe my attitude could have been different. Now, I can never, I can never say that because it, it wasn't. It's not that situation. But I, I think I'm um, mindful enough to understand that it could have gone a lot of different ways. And and that's where I kind of think there's a lot of other people that could have been in my position that were not so lucky. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's and I and I just think you know and as a family like my mum and dad you know I look at my mum and dad you know like 
I knew a family that when I was in ICU back in Adelaide, yeah, they lost three daughters. All right, they were all on that uh, like a tribute. And like my mum and dad must sit at night time and they had two sons and they both came home. So I look at my mum and dad would just sit there. I'm sure they would sit there and go, I think my dad said we won cross lotto. You know, like they could have been, my mum and dad could have lost two sons, just like that family did. So, you know, so I, I think even as a as a family, we've never really, and maybe that's why we never talked about it much. Mm. You know, we've always seen it as a as an experience that we're just as a family or as individuals, we're just we're just in the right place at the wrong at the wrong time. You know, yeah. Well, well thanks for sharing. I'm, I mean, okay. so thank you. But I, I go back. So I think you are. Well, no, I think you are inspirational. I mean, on the back of that, you founded, um, say, the Julian Burns Burn Foundation, Burns Trust. Yeah, raised over twenty million dollars over a fifteen-year period. That's yeah. pretty inspirational in its own right. So, well, right now, well, yeah. I, well, hang on. I won't blow wind up my ass. I do think about, you know, life. We all. I think everyone in life, and everyone in life, goes through trauma. Yeah. We all have adversity, challenges, and whatever. And I, I think the difference for me, and, and, and I stand by this, is is the difference, and I've always said this, you know, is that it's the choices that we make or how we move on from that. And I think that's when you, that's when you can be inspirational or I won't say motivational because I think motivation comes from within. Mm-hmm. But I think inspiration is when you can inspire people. And I get inspired by watching people go through trauma and I get inspired by how they move on from it. And, and maybe there's no right way or wrong way. You just kind of do it your way. Mm-hmm. But I think having, you know, and I think gratitude to me, again, it comes back to my, you know, fondest memories of a, you know, as a young kid is, is no matter how bad it got, my family always, my mum and dad always said, just be grateful for what we've got or what you've got or where you've been because there's a lot of other people out there worse off than you. And... You know, and I've never, that's probably stuck with me all my life. So even with this situation, I've always looked at it as, you know, how do I give back? I'm grateful. How do I give back? Now, when I first started doing it, the idea was that when I was laying in a hospital bed at the Royal Adelaide, you know, because I couldn't move, there was no D- old DVD players in the Burns unit. So I thought, maybe if I just, because I was a teacher at the time, I was a PE teacher at a uh, school called Woodcroft College. I was still playing um, professional sport. And I thought, oh, oh, I'll just give something back, you know, I'll raise you. Because know, that's what my mum and dad did. When the, when everything went wrong, you stop what you're doing, you go and help someone else. And you think about that while you're laying in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of think, you know, because that was just the way we, as a family, or I, again, I, I knew my mum and dad used to talk about it, but it was their actions. Mm. You know, I remember my father on the farm would be putting in his crop or his harvest. And a farmer would go down or would need something and he would stop what he's doing. Yeah. And then he'd go and help him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're driving on the road. This doesn't happen anymore these days as we're talking about. You know, pull over. Hey, mate, where do you want to need you? I will go back 20 kilometers, get the tie you need and help out. So, you know, I think it was just, it was just you know, I just thought that's the right way to do it. Maybe that's because I'm comfortable. Maybe... Maybe there was a bit of guilt, James. I don't know. Maybe there was survivor's guilt in there. Mm. I don't know. Could be. So, but, so therefore, I just thought I'll give something back. In the first year, you know, I wanted to raise $5,000. We raised 300 and whatever. And that was based on, you know, people's, you know, support around, you know, what the tragedy and that. And then, you know, I just really wanted to do something with people with burns and all that. So I've, I didn't know Australia as a country didn't have a national burns organization. So I, you know, I thought, well, you know, why don't we do something to help people around the country? And that came from out of that $300,000, I had two phone calls from Sydney, one from Sydney, one from Melbourne. A young girl got really badly burnt in a hot bath where her mum went and answered the phone. The, the little girl, four years old, played with a tat. She had both feet amputated. Oh, and under the fundraising guidelines in South Australia, you know, I couldn't give any of that money to that family. And I thought, that's not right. That's not right. That's, but that was just, you know, and apparently that's what, you know, same in, in 
in New South Wales, if you raise money there, you couldn't give it to South Australia. So I thought, well, well, how do I get around that? Well, they said, well, you have to do it nationally. So, so after fifteen years, and you know, you know, we we ran national prevention programs, we we funded you know care projects, burn survivors, and burn patients. Um, we funded nurses. You know, we had we had a, a we had a an amazing journey. Thank thanks. Yes, we had a vision, and yes, we were passionate, and yes, we, you know, our volunteers and our team, we raised money and we, we did what we did. But again, if it wasn't for the people of Australia, we wouldn't have done what we did, you know. But they, they embraced us, uh, you know, they supported us. The doctors around the country embraced us, um, you know. And, and again, I just, I was just very thankful. And at the end, we, you know, after 15 years, we, we shut the burns trust. Well, we we moved on from the burns trust because, you know, we we had when I say we had too much money, mm. you know, we we're struggling to find projects to fund. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and then as an organisation, we said, oh, we do we do we go overseas? Do we raise money overseas? And that didn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and by then, I was started to get involved in a biotech company. That an opportunity came up, which I, you know, I started to look at. So, therefore, I kind of maybe I knew my, you know, my time had run. So we, I said to the board, you know, hey, um, between you and me and the podcast, you know, we had a million dollars in the bank. I said, you know, there's organisations out there we have got great relationships with. Why don't we give separate the money each, give that money to the organisations, and we just you know, it's quietly going, and I was just very lucky that I had a board. A lot of our partners thought that was a good idea, and you know, and we exited quietly. You know, and again, I come back and just think we had a great run and extremely grateful for it. Yeah, no, fantastic work, absolutely fantastic work. How did you feel though, um, winding it down? Was it was it emotionally quite hard for you? Uh, no, no, it was. I just again, I just one of the great lessons I learned in life is that you know, you got to. You gotta know when your times are. You know, you gotta know when you've had your time in the sun. And it was like that in sport. You know, and I think, you know, you kinda of go up and you kinda of know where you you're in the you're in your moment and you kinda of then know that you've got to exit. And I always, you know, my father always said to me, the way you exit is the way you're remembered. You know, and so and it was the same with the Burns Trust. You know, I just kinda of knew there was a time where my passion had gone. And I had to have the discipline to be honest with myself and say, right, I think your time's are. And I think once you lose that passion, I think if you're really honest with yourself, I think you've got to exit. You're, 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 you, know, you know your time's are. Mm-hmm. But it's really how do, you, how do you exit? And if you exit with grace and honesty and transparency, you know, and you're dishonest with people to say that, you know, you know, grateful, humble, you know, but I'm going to move on to my next passion. You know, I think people, you know, they'll support you on it. You know, it's all about having good conversations with people and honest conversations. And I think people, you know, and by the way, you know, James, it was a not-for-profit. You know what I mean? I, you know, so it was the right thing to do. So I was very comfortable with it. I just knew it was the right thing to do. And, not, and you know, and I, my wife, Kay, is lovely. You know, she supported me on it and my family and, you know, everyone else did. So and I think when people support you on something, you know you're doing it for the right reason, so you move on. No, you said, I mean, like, you're quite right. You got a few accolades for it as well while you're there. I mean, like, you, uh, was it South Australian of the Year? You got an OAM as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're very humble, you know, which is awesome. You know, it's fantastic. Was, is that because your upbringing, you've been taught to be humble or? Well, I just think, oh, well, I play, you know, let's be honest, as a father the other night, I was playing, um, you know, with with our five kids, and now we have three rules before we play a game as a family. Mm-hmm. One, we've got to have fun. Two, whoever wins has got to win with humility. Yeah. And three, whoever loses has got to lose with grace. Yeah. You know, so we just Kay and I just have these values mm-hmm. that you know, whether it's at home or on the sporting field or in the sport at school or whatever, you know, you got to. You know, have a sense of pride in yourself, but you know, I think externally, you know, I 
always kind of think the only way, the only reason you get to here mm-hmm. is because, you know, you've had good people around you. Yeah. I think anyone achieves anything without by themselves. Yeah. So I'm, I think if anyone thinks that they do that, I think they they lack mindfulness. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, so I just kind of think it's a family thing. It's something that we, you know, as Kay and I encourage with our kids now, and I think it's the same when you receive an award, you're just humble and you know that, yeah, you know, you, you, you might have received the award, but it's a lot of, you get there because there's been a lot of hard work by many, many others. Yeah. I think that's just the way I, you know, I see it in my family, why I've seen it. No, good stuff. No. So you've done all, you say you've done a lot, a hell of a lot. What are you most proud of? Taking my son out today because he finished his final year 12. Uh, he finished year 12 yesterday. He's the first um, He's the first of five to do it. You know, he wanted to have lunch with Dad. Yeah. And really that story just summarises that. You know, I think the proudest thing that I'm, James, I'm a father of five. Mm-hmm. I'm a father of five kids and my son who's 18 wanted to hang out with Dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whether that because he wants a free feed, I don't know. <laughs> but I just think, James, you know, I, I look at it and, again, I think, you know, that's what I'm proud of. I've got five beautiful children. I, you know, I'm not the, you know, I, I strive to be a great dad. You have to ask them. I strive to be a great husband or a great friend. But well, you have to ask other people. But, you know, that's what I'm proud of is, you know, is trying, striving to be the person I am. No, it's yeah. good. No, it's not easy, is it? Well, no, nah, fuck, you know, if, if Max was here, he'd probably start it. He'd probably have to ask him or, you know, or Archie or whatever, so. It's tough. What do, you, um, what do you teach your younger self now then, knowing what you know, if you could go back? One thing I would, I'd learn, and I think I learned this in life, is that, you know, people can talk, but watch people's actions. Mm. I think if that's one thing I could te- tell myself as a young as a youngster or even at, as a teenager, is don't get caught up on what people say. Have a look behind the words and have a look at the way they behave. How do they treat people? How do they, you know, it's very hard, but as you get older, you know, just, you know, when times are tough, just watch people's behaviours, watch people, people's actions. You know, when, like you said before, when no one's looking. Yeah. I am just, you know, when you've got these people by themselves, because we all, you know, and maybe, you know, that's what I would look at and probably also challenge myself on that. What were you like, Julian? You know, you talk a big game, but what were you like at 18? Were you a good person when you're by yourself? Did you put people down or how did you behave? Mm-hmm. So that's probably one. And the other thing that I've always thought is, you know, is never, never be afraid to be vulnerable. You know, as a young, never be, I think that's one thing I'd, I'd say to myself, if for a younger Julian, I'd you know, say to my kids is, you know, if you want to shed a tear, shed a tear. You know, if you want to tell someone you love them, tell them you love them. Mm. Tell them why, you know. Don't be afraid to to be vulnerable, you know, as a father, as a friend, you know, because as a young friend, people, you know, they laugh at you when you're vulnerable. Yeah. But I've, as I've got older, I really feel like vulnerability is a strength. Yeah. No, it's a sign of leadership, you know. It's a sign of um. Tr- Courage, you know, and I think that's another trait that I, you know, what well, I think we should be encouraging our children all over the world to, to see that. So, you know, anyway, that's, yeah, that's probably a few. There's probably many more, James, but they're probably the two that come to my head right now. Nice. Good stuff. I'm very conscious it's coming up to your Friday uh, afternoon. No, it doesn't matter. I can talk. I can talk, James. All right. Go on in. I'll ask you another question. What do you like your legacy to be? Uh, my legacy that um, that my children and my wife still want to hang out with me when I'm 75 years old. Yeah, that's that that that'll be my that's my legacy. My legacy is that um, that my children and my wife would be proud of me of the person that I've strived to be. Um, but I think that you know my legacy was that you know what maybe in 25 years time my kids are all. I know thirty or forty-five. They range, and they still want to pop in and have a coffee with Dad, mm-hmm. or they ring up and say, "Dad, I love you." You know, and, and my wife might probably think I'm a pain in the ass, <laughs> but she still wants to go for a walk or you know go and have a coffee. Yeah, you know, 
don't know if I define my own would be, you know, maybe one day when you're 80 years old that you're all sitting around and I'm not expecting all, you know, all of our children and their partners or to get on. But I'd like to think that, you know, we all have respect to each other and there's all love in the room. You know how that looks. That, that'll be my legacy. I, you know, I think, you know, I think that would be my legacy. No, I was, I was reading an article recently, and it was, um, I can't remember his name, I think it's David Brooks, and it's about your eulogy CV versus your um, career CV, yeah, what you've yeah, remembered yeah. for. And just trying to get the right thing, you know, to be remembered for. And yeah. It's got it's got to be your, your eulogy CV to be the right person, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great, I think that's a great, well, you know, my sister who I love dearly, she works as an intensive care nurse. And she's done that for 30 years. And I think she'd, she'd be brilliant at what she does. And if I listen to her, you know, as a, around a family table and she talks about, you know, when people are on their last breath or their days or, you know, they might, like she'd say, they might talk about what they did, you know, career-wise, but, and that, but that might take them about 20%. The eighty percent is about their family or their regrets about what they should have done, what they could have done, and then she and like Lani said, a lot of the regrets have come from family. Mm. You know, I should have said this or I should have done that or I should have spent more time. You know, but I spent more time doing that. So again, I, I kind of think it comes down to a choice. You know, like you know, don't get me wrong. I, you know. I think yeah, your kids and your wife can be proud of you about what you maybe do in your career, but you know, I don't know. Does that really does that really help you at the end? No, I, f- I think you're right, and you know, it's I know it's a bit of a cliche as well, but like if you work until you like nine, ten o'clock at night, the only one that knows that is you. Your kids are just going to remember you weren't there at bedtime or it's reading a story and stuff. Well, James, you, you saw some. I remember my father saying to me. You can't have everything in life. And I said, well, hang on, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, if you want to be a successful CEO and be a career person and you're going to work and you're going to travel and you're not around for your kids, you can't have a great relationship with your children. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have a great relationship with your children and whatever, and you want to be home and whatever, and be there and invest in them and go on excursions or whatever, you can't then really have... You're not going to be traveling around. So he said, so therefore, the balance in life is there's a certain time in life that you've got to have a go at something because that's your passion, your burning desire. Mm-hmm. But then you're also going to know that when do I exit? Because now if I don't, I'm my children. So you might be driving, as so I always thought, you might be driving a flash car and traveling the world and whatever, but... When you listen to your twelve-year-old son or daughter speak about you, they say, "Oh, dad's never home, or mum's never there, or whatever." So, I don't know. I just turn around and go, "I'm a son. There's nothing wrong with choosing a career and a eulogy that's all about, you know, achievements and success and all that." I'm sure your kids will be proud of you, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to know that my kids didn't say, "Oh, dad wasn't there for me," or you know. But all you can do is try. All you can do is your best. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's hard to tell, James. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You just hope you're doing the right thing. And yeah, well, it's a discipline, isn't it? You, all you can do, all you can do is your, you know, all you can do is your best. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe in a, a value that I have in life is that you know, what you put in is what you get out. Yeah. I really believe in the karma of if you invest in something, you put your time and effort into it, and you make mistakes, you learn, you'll you'll fuck up. Whether it's a father, whether it's a businessman, whether it's a husband, whether it's a friend, no one gets it right, you know. But if you think you're having a go and you do it for the right reasons, I do believe nine times out of ten it does work out. That's one of the things I say to kids as well. If you do make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. That's how you learn. Because you, you know, they're so, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on kids. You know, it's got to be results driven. But sometimes it's not the results, it's actually the doing. You know? Oh, well, it, it's, it's totally agree. It's, you know, we, we, well, I think a lot of, no, hang on. I'm not a psychologist, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of parents are putting pressure on their kids 
about results and we should be putting pressure on our kids about being a good person, mm-hmm. being grateful, being kind, being caring and treat people well. You know, like that'll take you further in life. Yeah. That'll get, that'll make you more happier. Yeah. Because I'm sure if you like that and you're going to have relationships because you're going to work at relationships, people want to be with you. And I, I really believe relationships have a huge impact on our ability to be happy. Mm-hmm. But if you're driving kids about performance and all that, they're not really focusing about yeah. being a good friend. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, and so then they, when they get these good results, they come home and go, I'm still fucking miserable. I'm not happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. So maybe I don't know. That's that's another thought that I had, but I think it's also as well. I, I fully, fully agree with you, by the way. But I also think if once you hit that level, and you can't hit any higher, what are you going to aim for now? And you're then going to that's going to knock you back as well because you've now got nothing to attain for. You know, and, oh, awesome. and it's not the again. You're not living for the journey. You're just living for the result. Well, I, I totally agree, but you know, I don't know. I, I think as a person or a friend or a husband, you can always get better. Hmm. You know, results can, you know, you know, I always say to Karen, you know, I remember one of my learning experiences when I started running the Boons Trust, you know, and, you know, my second, I'm on my second marriage. But in my third, you know, I remember, I remember working on the values and the morals of the Boons Trust as a business mm-hmm. about what we stood for. And I would come home and walk into the door and think, Mate, my morals and why am I not working on my morals and my values at home? Because that's a mess. Yeah. There's no alignment. You know, we're not on the same page. And that's not wrong to my, uh, to Alison, my first wife, is just that we went on the same page. But all my focus is on the business. And I'll work on my values and morals. And it was a real learning experience. So I thought, you know, you got it back to front, Julian. You just, mm-hmm. you fucked it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and now, you know, with Kay, it's just, I was just very lucky to meet someone who, you know, she agrees, like, you know, well, we'll sit down and say, well, how are we raising our, what's our morals, what's our values, you know, what's our what's our strategic direction, what's the outcomes we want for our children? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so therefore it's like, and I, and I think, you know, and sometimes you got to, it's all about relationships and meeting the right person, but, yeah, I think sometimes we can get it back to front, but that's a choice again. You've got to be smart enough to know when you're heading down the wrong path and say, right, I've got to come back now and get back on my path. Easier said than done, James. No, it is, but I, th- I think what, as well what you're saying is if you're going, you inherently know if you're going down the wrong path. Now it's, oh, down, yeah. it's, and it's down to you to get yourself off that path. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I and you know what? I, I, I agree with that. You know, because I, I, I believe in the, in the sixth sense, your gut feel. Mm-hmm. Like we all know when we're scared. We all know when we're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We all know when we're, we're going to do something that's, this is not going to end well. Then it's a choice. You either fucking do it or you don't. Yeah. Whether it's driving a car, speeding on roads, being rude to someone, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot, oh, there's examples all over, the, you can yeah. learn them every day. But I, my big philosophy on life, what I say to my kids, is that life's about a choice. Every day you have choices, 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 and every choice has a consequence. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to, and your choice is your most powerful asset. No one can take away your ability to choose. Yeah. And that's what I say to our kids. So I went the day, you know, we had a AJ the other day, he hit someone at school. He retaliated, he got frustrated, he hit someone. So, buddy, you made a choice, there's a consequence. A, you take responsibility and you're going to learn from it. We're going to have to write a letter to the school or an email to your teacher to take full responsibility. And you're going to have to write an apology letter to that young lad that you did, which is one of your great mates. Yeah. Now, he's only seven. But we're going to teach him that he made a choice that he could have walked away and said, I'm not lying anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you hit you. So, you know, that's you know, that's just a, a story, but it's the same thing. You've got to teach them at a young age. Take responsibility, learn from it, and if you do it again, well, guess what? The consequence is going to get worse. Yeah. Do you know what? that? That's exactly what my dad used to say to us, is like every action has a reaction. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And it's like a simple law of science, and I find myself saying that to Monty, who's like, just turned 11. 
and they're going to do something. I say, you can do that decision. It's your decision, but you might not get the result you want at the end of it. So just be prepared. And if I argument say he doesn't want to do his homework that night, he wants to go play football or play on the Xbox yeah. instead, do that. You're going to miss out on something the next day. But if you're prepared to do that, that's your choice. You know, yeah. so don't come the next day saying, I learned something on the day, James, though. I yeah. learned something on the day. Here we go. You know, I'm a bit older than you. Is that, um, I remember my mother used to say to me, you know, if you throw enough mud, eventually the mud sticks. <laughs> and I was having a coffee with a good friend of mine who's into, um, he certainly works in mental health and all that. And he, and I won't get it right, but he's talking about the brain and how it develops boys and girls. And girls really brains develop when they're around about, you know, about 22. And I think the man's brain develops when they're about 26. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly, you know, between 12 and early 20s, the, the brain starts to conform and they don't really understand what we're talking about. You know, they hear it, but they don't understand it. And Max, Max, our eldest, when he's about I don't know, three years ago, I told him, I said, you know, Max, you've got to start being more grateful. You know, you walk in, you just feed your face and, you know, and we're chatting about you've got to be better at school, you've got to work harder. And he said, you know, and then we had a chat with him one day and he was in tears and he goes, Dad, you know, I, I, I teach, I, I wake up every morning and I say, I want to be, I, I want to be grateful, but Dad, I can't because I'm just hungry, Dad. I just want to eat some, eat some food. And I learned that I think we're on the right path is that their brains can't really understand what we're saying to it. But if we continually on in a positive way, mm-hmm. educate them about, you know, Monty, the choices or Matt, be grateful or this, eventually the penny, yeah. when the mud sticks a little bit, yeah, they'll go, oh, hey, Dad, Dad, it's all about choices, Dad. Hey, Dad, it's all about choices. And it gets it. And I think that's one of the great rewards or achievements as a parent is that maybe when your kid starts to starts to get some of your messages that you want or they start to behave it's not what they say they start to behave mm-hmm. you know that's where you look at and go do you know what that was worth it yeah because a lot of times you think you're talking about and you think fuck he just doesn't listen actually no yeah well funny enough yeah I, I was talking to someone fairly recently and it's exactly that they they listen more than you probably realise and appreciate they do they might not show it, but it is it is sticking. Yeah, right. Yeah. With Monty as well, he's got a massive sense of injustice. He doesn't like injustice happening to someone else. Yeah, and yeah. If some some someone does something to someone he doesn't like. He'll quite happily get in and back them up, even if yeah. they've got numbered. Which is, yeah. I never <laughs> want him to lose that. But it's yeah. nice. he's got that. But sometimes he's like, you've got to weigh up your options, mate, and not realise. Yeah. Yeah. Right, it's twenty versus what? What do I do here? But again, that's his but that's his values. But he's probably learned that from you. You know, mate, that's the way that, you know, he's he looks at his dad and says, That's maybe the way my dad or my mum see the world. Yeah. And I think that they yeah, you know, I think a lot of kids also you know again, they role model what their mum what they hear around the dinner table or what they hear in the car or how they see their dad or mum, you know, behave out in public. Yeah. You know. I think, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's very powerful, I think. No, I agree. I agree. It's, as I was saying earlier, though, it's not easy. You just hope you're doing the right thing. So I tell you what, you know, we're, we're you know, yeah, I totally agree, James. We're all, we are all just a work in progress. Mm. But I do, I do get inspired by speaking to people and listening to people who are willing to learn mm. and try things different and, own up to their mistakes or, you know, and, what is, and what, what's a mistake? Well, it's a choice that you just, you know, you thought, you know, I don't think you should judge someone in the bottom when they do something wrong, you know, or we should judge someone when they do it the second time. Yeah. Learn from it. You know, did they, did they learn from when their mistakes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and especially if a mistake, mistake is a mistake, it's not deliberate, right? So and I, I, I inherently believe people don't fuck up on purpose. And if they do, then you need to get real. They deserve the consequence, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but anyway, there it goes. So, yeah. No, listen, I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, It's been absolutely awesome. I've learned a lot myself. Thank you.
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring those rules into the family games in this house. I tell you, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think I might need to take one of them myself. You know, it might be number. Well, look, yeah, like I said, we all, you know, again, it's yeah, yeah, again. I'm sure there's some times that I, you know, my uh, when I lose my uh, gracefulness could be you know better or whatever. Yeah, you know, we're all we're all a work in progress, James. And I think that's the other thing about being a parent is that there's nothing wrong with, with saying to your kids, you know, Dad's still learning. I, I make mistakes, or I've got to get better at this, or I've got to get better at that. You know, they might not, they might get it now. Yeah. And when they come a father, they'll get it. Yeah. You know, and, and they'll go, ah, what do I heard? I heard a great saying the other day. What did I say? In your life, when you've got a a son. <clears throat> that saying that you're right. Oh, sorry. When you realise that your father is right, usually there's that's the time when you've got a son that thinks you're wrong. Right. You know. So when you realise that your father was right on some areas, you got a son telling you that you're wrong, and he will. Yeah. You know. No. No. I'm, I can even think now. Listen to some of the stuff my dad used to say. You know, you're talking to Oh, Ryan, you're full of shit. Now you're pretty better. Yeah. Yeah, right. You got on the ball. But I now find myself saying it to Monty. So Yeah, yeah. Or you or you'll be saying something, you'll go, gee, I sound like my father. Far out of it. There it is. There's France. Francis said yeah, she just said that's my yeah, there it is. Yeah. And take that with great pride and, and joy too though. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. No, no, it's brilliant to have you on. I really appreciate the time. So it's really, really good. Thank you very much. Uh, that's okay, Jane. And I'll hold, hopefully we'll, our paths will cross. As always, thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you do have any comments, advice, feedback, please do let me know. It really does help us improve the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs>